We know ball. 77, baby. We know ball. Episode 77. Starting now. Here we go. Let's dive into it. Come on. Fired up. Let's go. NFL week 15. It's almost over. And then we got playoffs. I mean, come on. We got football for another two months at least. A little less than that. February, what, 11th? Yep, that is the Super Bowl. We got NBA going on, guys. We got all kinds of stuff going on. But welcome to the We Know Ball podcast, episode 77. My name is Ryan, at Ryan Knows Ball on Twitter. At We Know Ball Sports, Instagram and TikTok. We got a great episode for you guys today because we are talking football and basketball and storylines and details and all the different things that are going on in the world of sports because we know ball the best more than anybody else, at least in my opinion. Some average Joe dude. Just a retired, washed-up college athlete trying to talk a little ball. And here we are. Episode 77, as I take a beautiful sip of my coffee over here, we are talking about, like I mentioned, NFL Week 15. Pretty crazy week. One of those first weeks of the like end of the season where the, the buys are done in the NFL. So everybody's playing. There's no college... Well, there's no legit college football uh, in terms of like championship implications. There's some bowl games, but because of that, the NBA is spacing it out and making sure that there aren't, you know, there's one Thursday game, there's one Monday game, but with 32 teams, there's 16 games in all. And with 16 games minus Monday and Thursday, that's 14 games. And they didn't want to put all 14 games on Sunday. So they put three games on Saturday. Kind of like it. Not sure. Not my all-time favorite thing, but it's not the end of the world. Wasn't that bad, but the point is there were some games on Saturday. There was an absolutely brutal blowout game on Thursday, and then we got a Monday night game coming up here between the Seahawks and the Eagles, and we'll get into all of it uh, and more with the NFL. And then, well, actually, before we get into the NFL, we're going to talk a little bit of NBA. And with the NBA, uh, we're not going to talk a ton about, I mean, there's some, there's been some really cool stuff going on in terms of specific and individual player performances. You got Jalen Brunson uh, for the Knicks going off. You got Giannis going off some drama with game balls, all kinds of stuff happening. But before we get in the NBA, before we address or before we get into the NFL and before we address anything else, the biggest and most important storyline for most people in the last week or two in the NBA was some news that had a little bit of a negative connotation to it. Nothing like drastic or super serious, 
in terms of anybody, you know, anything like life-threatening. All it was was a negative story that the NBA definitely wants to make sure they nip in the bud right away, or at least they're going to try to, with Draymond Green getting suspended indefinitely after a situation he had during a game against Yusuf Nurkic on the Phoenix Suns in a game where Draymond Green literally throws a roundhouse punch in an attempt to like try to kind of get open. I don't know. He's playing offense, getting guarded by Nurkic behind him, and he just does a full 360 and lands a right cross on, in Nurkic's like face neck area. It was as clear as day that Draymond's trying to hurt him, trying to punch him, uh, out of, going out of his way. And after the incident, I mean, anybody with a brain and eyes sees the replay or sees it happen in real time, watches Draymond turn and basically try to punch him without actually closing his fists and turning and loading, punches Nurkic and receives a flagrant two, gets ejected, and then subsequently gets suspended indefinitely by the NBA while he seeks some counseling. The official statement from uh, the NBA Communications uh, PR release on the 13th, December 13th. Uh, Golden State Warriors forward Draymond Green has been suspended indefinitely for striking the Phoenix Sun Center Yusuf Nurkic in the face. It was announced today by Joe Dumars, executive vice president and head of basketball operations for the NBA. This outcome takes into account Draymond Green's repeated history of unsportsmanlike acts. The incident occurred with 8.23 remaining in the third quarter of the Warriors' 119-116 loss to the Suns on December 12th at the Footprint Center. Green received a flagrant foul, two and was ejected. His suspension will begin immediately, and he will be required to meet certain league and team conditions before he returns to play. So, he's not just suspended, he's suspended indefinitely, and before he can come back from his indefinite suspension, apparently he needs to meet some sort of standards or guidelines in terms of counseling and all these other things that they're going to be providing for Draymond Green because, like mentioned in this PR release, he is a repeated offender, and he has a history of unsportsmanlike acts. Another article from The, Warrior, uh, from the Athletic by Shams uh, mentioning the same thing. League sources said that Draymond was expected to receive counseling and work with the NBA while he's suspended. People around Draymond Green and the organization say that the four-time NBA champion has been understanding and prepared to undergo the process required to return to the team in full capacity. Three-week time frame has been thrown around in terms of how long that would take to complete this sort of counseling that he's being provided. And that would, co uh, would cover about 12 games from the uh, Warriors' schedule. The best part about all this, and mentioned in this article, this latest incident with Draymond Green is his 20th career ejection. Let me repeat that. 20. 20 career ejections for Draymond Green. That's a lot of ejections. I don't know how many times some other guys have been ejected. Like, I would imagine there's some of the best players of all time haven't been ejected that many times. 
more so in this article, uh, Green's suspension, Draymond Green has now been suspended, according to this, six times and his second time this season. He's already accumulated 16 technicals. And he also stepped on a player in the playoffs. Yeah, so Draymond Green is just is out of control. He's been out of control, but he's out of control. He's been suspended six times in his career, second time this season already, and now he's indefinitely suspended by the NBA until he receives or meets the requirements that are provided with this counseling session that he's going to be getting. The problem with this indefinite suspension for Draymond Green is that at the end of the day, he knows he's going to come back and play in the NBA. And he knows it's going to be this season. He's going to miss about 12 games, which is what most guys across the NBA usually average missing anyways with any combination of rest days on back-to-backs or injuries or a lot of different reasons, a lot of different things. But three weeks or 12 day, uh, twelve total games for the Golden State Warriors without Draymond Green, this suspension yet again has, was, is forever going to mean nothing. It's going to mean nothing. They tagged it with indefinite because that makes it seem like it's worse than it is. It's a three-week suspension. You know, it may be four weeks. It may be five weeks. But it's not indefinite. Indefinite means there won't be at any point a legitimate end date set until a long period of time passes. Months. Two months. Three months. Now we're going to be revisiting. But the fact is, This counseling session for Draymond Green and this indefinite suspension is going to do nothing. And I would bet my life that a situation just like what happened with Draymond Green leading up to the suspension is going to happen again for Draymond Green. I would bet my life on it. Because the fact is, Draymond Green is problematic. He's problematic against other teams he's problematic amongst his own team he's a problematic person who has a hard time controlling his emotions that's who he is deep down now the hope is that the counseling and the suspension will help him realize those things and avoid these types of physical and emotional reactions going forward but when you have a very short window of a two and a half, three week counseling session and an indefinite suspension. That's not indefinite. And he knows exactly when he's going to be coming back and he knows he's not going to miss that much time. Those factors included in all of this are going to end up washing away any sort of treatment he receives in this process. They're going to wash it away and Draymond Green's going to come back and he's going to have another incident. And then what do you indefinitely suspend him again? Or do you just let him keep doing whatever he wants to do? 
if the NBA really, really wanted to send a message with this Draymond Green suspension and to Draymond specifically about his behavior, they would come out and say he's indefinitely suspended. He's seeking counseling. He's doing all the different stuff that he's included in this. And he received a flagrant two because of his horrendous, like assault on some other guy during an NBA game. And after he returns from his suspension, whenever that may be, if he receives another flagrant two, he is suspended for the rest of the season. That would imply that his behavior previously and moving forward has not been and will not be acceptable. But Draymond Green is going to come back and do the same thing unless they crack down a little bit harder. Because Draymond Green has been suspended six times in the history of his career. He typically is in the top five in technical fouls every single season. And he has a history of being a ridiculously over-the-top, physically, basically, uh, what's the word? He's had a number of different physical altercations on the court, off the court, but inside the NBA at one point or another, a number of different times. That's who he is as a player and as a person. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that the uh, counseling he's going to receive is is not going to help. I don't know that for sure. I'm not going to sit here and tell you. Maybe he comes back and he is an archangel, saint, heaven, first, the, the most model citizen of all time. I don't know that for sure. But what I can tell you is that Draymond Green has a history of this behavior. And this suspension, indefinite, and this counseling is not going to be effective enough to stop Draymond Green from coming back and having another physical altercation. Whether it's with one of his teammates, with another player, it's going to happen again. Because Draymond Green ultimately knows he's going to come back. He knows he's going to play in the NBA again this season. He knows that if he has another incident, he may get a bigger, larger suspension. But at the end of the day, the NBA is telling him, if you act this way, then the only, you know, the only thing they can really do is, oh, we'll go seek some counseling. We're going to suspend you indefinitely, but you'll be back in the NBA at some point. They're not taking the approach of, why is it always you, Draymond? Nobody else seems to have these problems. Nobody else has got suspended six times in such a short amount of time as you have, Draymond. Nobody's already been suspended twice this season. Nobody. It's always you, Draymond. You have a history and a pattern of poor behavior. And so because of that, we need to make an example out of you. Indefinite suspension. He's seeking counseling. Let's hope and pray, fingers crossed, he can come back as a better player and a better person. But if he doesn't, and he gets another flagrant two at any point in this season from a physical altercation within the league's judgment, he will be suspended for the remainder of the season. Because otherwise, he's going to come back. He'll probably have another incident. Maybe not this year. But who knows? Warriors get in the playoffs. Things get a little bit of heat, a little bit heated, a little emotional. Next thing you know, Draymond Green is stomping on somebody's head. Draymond Green's doing a full 360 and roundhousing somebody in the jaw. 
It's always Draymond Green. It's never anybody else. The league thought, the NBA thought they were making an example of Draymond Green with this suspension. And in my opinion, it's not enough. And it's not enough because, number one, Draymond Green knows he's coming back at some point this season. So what does he care? He's going to do whatever he wants, come back, and get paid stupid money because he's in the NBA. They're making a ton of money. Number two, they're not telling him that this behavior is entirely unacceptable and that if it happens again, there's going to be extreme punishments. And number three, he knows all this stuff already because he's already been suspended six times. He got suspended earlier this season. So the punishment, indefinite suspension, that's eyewash because it's not indefinite. He's coming back, sounds like, relatively soon. Going to miss 12 games, three weeks. That's just not that much time. Counseling, whatever, three weeks, it's not going to do anything. I'd guarantee it and put my life on Draymond Green coming back, whether it's at some point again this season or another point in his career, will have another ridiculously over-the-top physical altercation. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Put my life on it. So what the NBA should do is indefinite suspension like they're doing, counseling like they're doing, and put out a message. We're giving all this stuff for Draymond, suspended, counseling, and if he gets another flagrant two foul and has another physical altercation in the eyes and the judgment of the NBA behavior board or whoever they do, whoever they have that looks at these altercations and determines the length of the suspension, another flagrant two, and in the eyes of this committee or whoever, or the eyes of the NBA, it's physical enough, he will be suspended for the remainder of the season. If he comes back after a suspension, right, and has another flagrant two physical altercation in the eyes of the NBA, he will be suspended without pay until the end of the 2023-2024 season. That's the only way to send a message enough to Draymond. I go, dude, stop assaulting people on the court. Stop. Because if you don't do that, they're going to tell him, all right, well, we're just going to suspend you again next time. Suspend it a little bit. Come back. Six, eight months go by. Oh, Draymond's playing. It is what it is. And he assaults somebody again. Suspended for a couple of weeks. Comes back. And he is like, it's a pattern. It's never going to stop. Unless they send a message. If you're, if it happens again, you're done, dude. You're done for the season. Because nobody else is, is anywhere close to the level that Draymond Green's been at with all these suspensions and all this, this entire situation. They gotta send a message. The guy's out of control, dude. He's out of control. Gotta send a message. The message they tried to send wasn't strong enough, and they need to send a better one moving forward. I hope the best for Draymond. I hope, I hope Draymond can can come out of this because you've seen Draymond on the podcast and in public appearances, and like at his peak, he's an excellent, excellent big man in the NBA. But he can't control his emotions. He's too impulsive. He's too physically violent. He needs, obviously, not just counseling, but I think a lot more than that. I think over the offseason, I think, you know, maybe... It, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not an expert in that area, but I can tell you that this suspension and this indefinite thing, it's just not enough. It's not enough. And uh, Draymond's going to come back and probably end up doing the same thing. But I hope the best. I hope it never happens again. It's just, we have a pattern. We have... We've seen it before, and I hope it gets better, but to me, this wasn't enough, and I don't think it's going to get better until 
they absolutely slam down the gavel and give it to them seriously much more drastically one more flagrant two Draymond. at any point this year you're suspended for the season and hopefully it doesn't happen hopefully he comes back and plays good basketball and doesn't assault people and finds a uh, a level of his life where he doesn't feel like that's necessary and he can control his impulses a little bit better but I guess that's yet to be seen, yet to be determined. Could totally happen, I guess, when he comes back from this air, this suspension. Maybe, like I said, he, maybe he comes back and he's the nicest guy of all time. He's never, never has a problem again. And in that case, that'd be awesome. Not sure that's going to happen. I hope the best for Draymond, but I also think the NBA needs to make a little bit more of an example out of him now and moving forward. All right, moving on to. The NFL, National Football League, National Football League Association of America. Week 15, NFL. We got one game left tonight, Eagles Seahawks, but the rest of the games, the rest of the teams have played and participated in some form of action. Like mentioned before, no buys. All 16, all 32 teams in action with 16 games spread out over Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Holy guacamole. A lot of action, lots to talk about. Starting off, starting off, starting off with the Thursday game, Chargers and Raiders. So kind of a stink bowl, right? Kind of a couple of teams that are, are hurt, are not good. Raiders are meh, have already fired a coach. Chargers are meh, lost Herbert. Lost Mike Williams. Chargers season was was over a couple of weeks ago, uh, but now we sit here after the game they play against the Raiders. They came in at five and seven. Sorry, five and eight. Now they're five and nine. Raiders came in at five and eight and are now six and eight. Regardless, but two garbage teams on Thursday Night Football, and the final score of that game was sixty three to twenty one. 63 to 21. The Raiders beat the Chargers. I'm going to say it one more time. 63 to 21. The Chargers had... Let's see. How many turnovers did the Chargers have? Team stats. Chargers had five turnovers, four fumbles, four fumbles, and an interception. The Raiders scored two touchdowns on defense, like defensive touchdowns on two fumbles. The Chargers actually had more time in possession, and they lost by 40 two points the chargers are a complete disaster they were less of a disaster in san diego but they're a complete laughing stock 
of the NFL year in and year out. I've talked about this a number of different times, but it really is honestly mind-blowing how consistently the Chargers find a way to be the laughingstock of the league. Now, there's a difference between being a really bad team in a shorter to medium window, tanking, ending up with high pit. You know, like the Panthers are really bad, embarrassing to some degree, but the difference is everybody knew the Panthers would be bad. The Chargers, most years, should be good, and then they're horrible. Or they're good, they get to the playoffs, kind of how they should be following their trajectory, and then they get to the playoffs, and they lose in the most heartbreaking fashion in the history of mankind. They even spent a short amount of time during that game on an Amazon Prime video Thursday night with the Raiders and Chargers describing a new word, a verb created. Now, obviously not an actual word and just a hypothetical that they did for the sake of the broadcast, but they called it chargering. Chargering. That's what they called it. And it's just finding ways to lose, finding ways to get embarrassed, finding ways to not ultimately come out on top, losing in the most disgusting, heart-wrenching ways possible. It's what the Chargers do best. They do it better than anybody else in the entire league. 63-21. to 21. Immediately following that game the next day, head coach of the Chargers, Brandon Staley, was fired. He wasn't a great head coach. He did not have his guys in the, in the proper personnel for a lot of the season. Uh, he came in as a defensive guy and was ultimately not a good defensive head coach. His team's defensive numbers and metrics and performances were consistently pretty bad. So Staley's fired. Raiders beat the Chargers, and that all happened just in, within the first game of the regular of the week 15 on Thursday Night Football. On Saturday, you had three different games, all of which featured some decent enough teams. Uh, first game of the day being the Bengals and the Vikings. Bengals end up winning in overtime, and the Bengals, without Joe Burrow, improved to eight and six. Vikings dropped to seven and seven and the Vikings were up 17 to three going into the fourth quarter and the Vikings and the Bengals scored 21 points in the fourth quarter to the Vikings seven and then go to overtime where the Bengals uh, went on a walk-off field goal. Next game up on that list is the Colts playing the Steelers. Colts beat the Steelers 30 to 13 Colts improved eight and six Steelers lose and drop to seven and seven. Last game of the day, Lions played the Broncos. Lions beat the Broncos pretty good, uh, 42 to 17. Kind of all started there in that second quarter where the Lions scored a touchdown. The Broncos offensively really weren't really, weren't really able to keep up or answer 
with what the Lions had uh, scheme-wise offensively compared to their own production on offense. Broncos don't score a point in the first half. They're now 21 to nothing at half and score 17 in the second half, but uh, the Lions, that 21-point deficit, just too much to overcome, and uh, the Broncos fault the Lions 42-17. to Lions approved the 10-4. and Broncos are 7-7, seven and 3-4 seven, and four on the road. Not great considering if the Broncos get into the postseason, they're going to be ha- they're going to play uh postseason games on the road. They're not going to win the AFC West. So it's going to be tough to see if the Broncos can find a way into the postseason. They got a pretty favorable schedule for the final 3 weeks of the regular season with the Patriots, Chargers and Raiders in that in that order. Uh Patriots at home, Chargers at home and Raiders on the road. All three of those teams are not good and very beatable. So interesting to see if the Broncos come out on 10 at seven. They're going to need a little bit of help. I think they're going to need like a couple of teams that are either tied or above them to lose like once or twice in the next three games. So Broncos playoff hopes are certainly not dead. And as a Broncos fan, maybe this is me just trying to cope a little bit. But I think the Broncos have a legitimate shot to get into the postseason. Just going to be up to them to see, uh, you know, if they can do it. So Tough way to lose, right? Losing 42 to 17 like that. But uh, I mean, it was 0 0 after the first quarter. It just got a little bit ugly there in the second. And uh, the Lions really never looked back. Uh, moving on to Sunday. A lot of games, a lot of action. Uh, first game of the day, or first game listed at least here. Browns beat the Bears 20 to 17. Uh, the Bears are a bad football team, uh, but the Browns are 7 and 1 at home. Um, Joe Flacco threw three picks and still threw for 374 yards and two touchdowns. Browns win 20 to 17. Um, it's really interesting to see, right? You look at the Browns uh, schedule for the remainder of the season. So they've got um, the Texans, the Jets, and the Bengals. Three games where it's like, maybe they should win one, but I don't, think they should beat the Texans or the Bengals, but like maybe they beat the Texans, lose to the Jets, beat the Bengals. Like it's just a, a such a weird team, weird concept, weird organization, four different starting quarterbacks. And yet again, the Browns find a way to win a football game. I really hate it because they're not going to win the Super Bowl. So it's kind of like just just let I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to say let other teams in. I guess the Browns play good enough defense to be competitive. Their run defense is good. Um, You know, their inside guys are pretty solid. Their DBs are good. The defensive third down efficiency is good. The Bears obviously aren't a good team, but the Bears almost won this game. There was not only a Hail Mary at the end of the game that was tipped and almost pulled in by the Bears in the end zone, but... The Bears could have, you know, they were like 10 yards out. They threw the Hail Mary. They were like 10 yards out from field goal range. So, you know, it's a 10-yard difference there. Not even that, honestly. They probably could have only got six, seven, eight yards tried for a game-tying field goal. But the Browns are that team this year. The Browns are the Vikings of last year. The Browns are that team where it's like every single time they are in a close game, they find a way to win. Every time their defense gives up 25 or 30-plus, they score just enough to win. Every time their offense can't put points on the board, their defense steps up and keeps the other team off the scoreboard, and they just find ways to win. They score 13 points in the fourth quarter, win by three. Like, come on. It's crazy. I guess good for the Browns, but 
I don't see them as a legitimate threat in the postseason. So it's hard for me to be like, oh, yeah, the Browns. How are they going to do anything with 38-year-old Joe Flacco? I don't know. I don't know. Next game on the board, Bucks-Packers. Bucks beat the Packers 34-20. Uh, Packers are 6-8. and eight. I think kind of ultimately done for the year. Things were looking pretty well. For, uh, things were looking up for them uh, for the most part. With Jordan Love playing really well, having some flashes of greatness. Uh, but then to host the Buccaneers, host Baker Mayfield, host an offense that struggles significantly, and to just give up 34 points, not ideal. Not ideal for uh, the Packers, not ideal for their postseason hopes. However, the NFC is just so mediocre this year that if they win out and end up at 9-8, and eight, there's a chance they could probably squeak into the postseason. Even if they do, again, same way I feel with a lot of different teams, I don't think they're a legitimate Super Bowl threat. So, you know, same with the Bucks. Bucks are 7-7. Seven and seven. How? I don't know. They lead their division. Super dumb, super annoying. Uh, but the NFC South, also garbage. Next game, Texans and Titans. Uh, Texans did not have C.J. Stroud, started Case Keenum, and still beat the Titans uh, at home. Beat them 19-16. But the Titans just dumpster fire of a year. Going to fall into the talking point that we're going to touch on here at the end of all these games and all this recap stuff. Uh, but uh, Titans are one of the teams we're going to talk about. Next game on the list, Dolphins, Jets. Dolphins hammer the Jets 30 to nothing. Uh, you know, it was in Miami. Um Jets aren't a good football team. Dolphins offensively didn't have Tyreek Hill, uh, but Jalen Waddell had eight catches for 142 yards and a touchdown. Raheem Mostert had two touchdowns. Tua looked okay. Jets aren't a good team. Uh, Dolphins are 10-4. and four. Could potentially walk away with the AFC East, and that's pretty interesting. I don't know about the dolphins it's kind of the same thing i've been saying about everybody else except i know to a degree they can put up 30 40 50 points which will always keep you in a game but when the dolphins aren't scoring or they go through their offensive lulls or on the flip side when their defense doesn't show up they could lose like they did last week to the titans which that's brutal that's a bad loss for them but i mean listen, whatever uh, next game, Chiefs played the Patriots, beat them 27-17 in New England. Patriots are 3-11. The Chiefs are 9-5. Now they have a comfortable, more comfortable two-game lead in the AFC West over the Broncos. And, uh, you know, Mahomes, two touchdowns, two picks, uh, 300 passing yards. You know, it's just the Chiefs. The Chiefs are winning. Um but they still just have some seriously glaring issues, uh, specifically in the receiving core. Their defense has been good this year, but their offensive production is down. Uh, they become a little bit pass heavy and reliant on Mahomes. And when you can't necessarily protect him as well as they have in the past, the offensive line, combined with the fact that the receiving core is like historically bad. Bad in terms of drops, 
like one of the interceptions Mahomes threw, it like Canarius Tony, it just hit him in the hands, was juggled and tipped in the air, and then landed in the Patriots defensive backhand. Like I don't think the Chiefs are are a bad football team. I think they're good. Do I think they're as good as they were in years past when they won the Super Bowl, like last year? I do not. I think they're good. I think they're a playoff team. I think they are not nearly as good as they have been in years past. Not nearly as good. They're good. How good? Yet to be determined, I think. Nine and five is right where I'd have them based on how they've been playing so far this season. Saints played the Giants, beat them 24 to six. Giants aren't a good team. Saints also not a good team, except they're seven and seven. They're tied for first place in the NFC South. I think this game with the Saints and Giants is hilarious, and it's a exactly perfect example of what the Saints and what Derek Carr does. Derek Carr beats bad teams, loses to good teams, and then the mediocre teams, it's a coin flip when they play each other. And so for the Saints, you know, they come into this game six and seven. That's not good. Now it's like, oh, all of a sudden they're seven and seven. They beat a team like, oh, they're tied for first. No, 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 no. This game needs to get more attention because it's going to be like, oh, my gosh, the Saints. It's like they barely the Saints to me in, in every indicator that I've seen are a bad football team. Like they're not good. Their offensive efficiency is horrible. Their third down conversion rate on offense is horrendous. Their defense is okay, but has some flashes of greatness and then also gets smoked in other occasions. The Saints are not a good football team. Absolutely, unequivocally a zero threat to win the Super Bowl. If they make the playoffs, if they win the AFC or the uh, NFC South, rather, no threat. Like they're going to host the home playoff game and they're going to lose to whoever they play. They're going to lose. They're not a good team in this game. And people like it needs like people need to remember this game. Like, oh, they're seven and seven or, oh, they finished your nine and eight. Like that's no, they beat the Giants. Like they're not good. They're not a good team. Taking a look at their schedule, how they've done and played against legitimate actual contending NFL football teams. Here's the wins. Here's the wins for the Saints this season. There's seven victories. They beat the Titans by one point at home in week one. That's not an impressive or good win. They beat the Panthers in week two. Poop. They beat the Patriots in week five. Poop. They beat the Colts and put up 38 points. How does that happen when they scored 16 against the Titans? And then the Bears in back-to-back weeks of week, I think, eight and nine, that is. Then they lose three in a row to the Vikings, Falcons, and Lions. And they beat the Panthers and Giants in back-to-back weeks. So here's their wins again. Titans, Panthers, Patriots, Colts, Bears, Panthers again, Giants. Oh, but they have seven wins. So who do they lose to seven times? Lost to the Packers. Nope, that's not a good football team. Lost to the Bucks. Middle tier again. Packers, Bucks, Texans, Vikings, Falcons. Those are all middle tier teams. 
for the for the New Orleans Saints, flip a coin. They're either going to barely beat them or they're going to barely lose. Guess what? Their losses are the Packers, mediocre team. Bucks, mediocre team. Texans, good, but, you know, mediocre team. They lost to the Jags, who are pretty good. Vikings, mediocre team. Lost to the Falcons, mediocre team. And then they lost to the Lions, who are better than them. So every time they played a mediocre or good football team, they get smoked. Every time they play a bad football team, they beat them, I guess. The Saints are terrible. The Saints are not going to do anything. And I just wish, I just wish they could just like, just I, I, like, just simulate the rest of their games. Simulate the rest of their games. If they get in or if the Bucks get in, they're the same type of team. Simulate the rest. Give one of the teams the NFC South crown at nine and eight or eight and nine with a tiebreaker because all there's going to be four teams. I don't think a single team in the NFC South will get the 10 wins. And then they don't get the 10 wins. Whoever it is, give them the NFC South crown. Great. And then just the team they're matched up with in the first round of the playoffs, just simulate it. That team's going to beat whoever it is in the NFC South. Teams are a non-threat. Same thing. Moving on to the next game. And the reason I went on that diatribe, the Panthers played the Falcons in a wet, sloppy uh, Carolina stadium. And the Panthers beat the Falcons 9-7 to seven on a walk-off field goal. 9-7. to seven. The Falcons, 6-7 and seven coming into the game. And they lose to the 1-12 and 12 Carolina Panthers. Just for that, the Falcons should be automatically eliminated from any and every playoff scenario, playoff contention type thing. Because there's a chance, right? The Falcons could win out, be 9-8, and eight, and the rest of the teams that suck in the NFC South could also lose, and the Falcons could get into the playoffs. I hope, I, oh my God, I hope so bad the Falcons aren't in the playoffs. What a waste of time that would be. The Falcons are historically bad. I know it was a really, really, really sloppy and wet and bad environment for an offensive production. Totally understand. Totally understand that. I get it. But if I'm going to sit here and pull up my box score for the I'm going to sit here and look at the offensive production from this game and look at Drake London, first round pick getting targeted three times. Kyle Pitts, first round pick getting targeted four times in the entire game. And B. John Robinson getting seven carries, seven carries. First round pick B. John Robinson getting seven carries. That is disgusting Cordero Patterson is getting five carries Bijan Robinson is getting seven that is unfathomable Tyler Algier had 14 carries why 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 is that happening why are the Falcons allergic to playing their best players their number one picks why? Why do they do that? I don't know why, but if you do it, now you're going to be 6-8. and eight. It's exactly what happens when you don't play your number one picks. 
What's the point of using a first round pick? What is the point of using it if you're just not going to use the players? And then there's games where they do use their players effectively. They give him a they give him a good workload. They target their first round receiving picks. Kyle Pitts at tight end and Drake London at receiver, and they go ballistic. Drake London gets targeted 13 times. Weird. He has uh, 11 catches for 100 plus yards and a touchdown. What? What? Here's Bijan Robinson's game logs. Oh, the guy who was oh, that's right. The eighth overall pick in the NFL draft last year. Week two, he gets 19 carries. Oh my God, 124 yards. What? Plays the Saints at home, gets 16 carries, 91 yards. Oh, what? They play the Cardinals, it gets 22 carries, 95 yards. Oh my God. Oh, they're playing Carolina and it's raining. Yeah, seven carries. What are we talking? Like, what are they doing? He gets 4.6 yards a carry. That's so good. And the Falcons are like, ah, yeah, we need Desmond Ritter to let it loose today. <laughs> Drake London, eighth overall pick. 2022, two years ago. Last week, 11 targets, 10 catches, 172 yards. What? Against New Orleans, seven targets, five catches for 91 yards. Oh, my God. Against the Commanders, 12 targets. How about nine catches, 125 yards? Oh, my God, he can do that. Oh, it's uh, they're playing Carolina Panthers, the worst team in the NFL. Yeah, I know it's raining, but how about three targets? Three targets. Dude, what a joke of an org, a joke of a team, joke of a team. I hope the Falcons never, ever, ever get anywhere close to the playoffs until Arthur Smith is up and gone. Don't know what that was. Sorry about that. But Rams play the commanders. Rams beat the commanders 28 to 20. Rams win a meh game. Commanders lose a meh game. Meh, meh, meh. That game's meh. But the Rams are 7 and 7. I guess they have a shot at the playoffs, which is really stupid, but whatever. Uh, 49ers played the Cardinals, beat them 45 to 29. Giving up 29 of the Cardinals is kind of don't love it, uh, but the 49ers on offense are the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, the 49ers should be Super Bowl favorites right now. If they aren't, I don't know who is because they are crazy on offense. They are absurd. They are absurd. They are crazy. Purdy, 
McCaffrey, Debo, Ayuk, Kittle. Uh, I'm missing somebody. And I wanted to look at this box score because I never actually officially saw all of the production. So, yeah, so let's see. Jordan Mason, yep. Uh, McCaffrey, Kittle, Debo, Ayuk, Kyle Juszczyk at fullback, Ronnie Bell, Jawan Jennings. Yeah, it's just crazy, dude. It's stupid. It's honestly just dumb how good they are. But they're good, and uh, they should be in the Super Bowl again. Uh, another game in that afternoon slate, Bills and Cowboys. Bills beat the Cowboys 31-10. to I'm not going to say it's because I've been hyping up the Cowboys. I'm not going to say it's because I've just been all in on the Cowboys. Uh, but it is. I think the Cowboys are the only team in the league that can play close to lights out with one or two bad games through 13 weeks, but pretty much close to lights out for 13 weeks, minus a game or two, and then have one game where they don't show up and don't play well on the road and everybody is just immediately ready to call them frauds and to give up on the Cowboys. They're the only team in the NFL that can get away with like, that's the only that that's. They're the only team that that happens to. Like the bills blow out the Cowboys and literally every single person I've seen. Yep, there it is. Cowboys are frauds. Like, they're just not allowed to lose games. They're not allowed to just have a bad game. I know it happens, right? It's not great to get beat in that type of fashion. But going from warm Texas, controlled indoor environment, to Buffalo in December on the road against a Bills team that's starting to play a little bit better football, just beat the Chiefs, have a lot of momentum, and they lose. 31 to 10, kind of ugly, but they lost. Cowboys aren't frauds. The Cowboys are a good football team. They're just three and four on the road. But when they play at home, they are close to unstoppable. The road issue got to be fixed. But they didn't show up to play, didn't have a ton of urgency. All of a sudden, they looked at the scoreboard and they were down 21 to 3, and the game is over. So, what happens? But it's one game, and the Cowboys are 10 and 4. It's not a coincidence. Not ready to give up on the Cowboys yet, even though the entire world is ready to give up on them immediately after they lose to the Bills. Not me. I'll still buy some stock into the Cowboys, even at that price has dropped a little bit. Uh, last game of the slate, Sunday Night Football, Ravens played the Jags, beat them 23-7. Jags, uh, I don't know if they're that good. Like, they're 8-6, which is fine. Uh, you know, they'll get in the playoffs. They may even win a playoff game, uh, but if they play a legitimate contender at any point in the AFC, like... Honestly, like the Bills or the Ravens, like they did, or the Chiefs or the Texans, like a lot of these teams that it's like, oh, they're, they like, they probably won't beat them. 
Now, anything can happen at any point. You know, Jags are good enough. Trevor Lawrence has seriously regressed in the last three or five weeks. I know he's kind of playing banged up, playing hurt. And the Jags have had some good games. You go through the Jacksonville Jaguars schedule, you look at who they have played, how they have performed against good teams. You know, uh, their losses this year have been to the Chiefs, the Texans, 49ers, Bengals, Browns, and Ravens. They've lost three games in a row, which is not ideal. They do, however, have a very favorable schedule for the next three weeks with the Bucks, Panthers, and Titans. That's crazy. That should be three wins. Based on what the Jacksonville Jaguars have to offer, especially offensively, they should come out. They're eight and six now. They should come out at 11 and six. They absolutely should. Unequivocally should be 11 and six. If they don't, 10 and seven is okay. Nine and eight is not good. And anything less than nine and eight, full panic mode. Holy cow, full panic mode. Uh, the problem with this game also is that, like, they got kind of just blown out. Like, the Ravens. 23 to seven. Like that's not the worst score I've ever seen. Uh, but the Jags like at home only scoring seven points, turning the ball over in the red zone. Trevor Lawrence, like I said, not looking great. It's not a great sign for the Jags. Uh, there's, like I said, three weeks to kind of get right. Hopefully they can. Uh, but you know, you have the Jags losing the Ravens. Uh, you got some other teams here talking about, you know, we talked about the Falcons. We talked about, uh, you know, the Chiefs beating the Pats, talked about the Jets getting smoked by the Dolphins, Titans losing a close game, uh, you know, these other teams. Let's see, Steelers losing on Saturday, Vikings losing on Saturday to the Bengals, uh, Raiders and Chargers. Uh, the, the, the last sort of thing I kind of wanted to just touch on in this episode, right? Episode 77, hopefully you guys enjoyed it, okay? Is it... Uh, The, the news that seems to happen. There's like this new trend in the NFL where it's just like, oh yeah, we're going to swap quarterbacks. Oh, we're going to replace this guy with uh, another guy. The Jets, Zach Wilson and Tim Boyle. The Steelers, now we'll have three different quarterbacks to start games for them. Raiders, Jimmy G to Aiden O'Connell. The Vikings, Josh Dobbs, because he was the backup, and then Nick Mullins. The Pats had Mac Jones, first round pick. Oh no, Bailey Zappi. The Falcons, Desmond Ritter. Actually, Taylor Heineke. Actually, Desmond Ritter. The Titans. Ryan Tannehill to start the year. Oh, we're not going to play uh, the quarterback we drafted. Oh, wait, now we are. Hey, uh, stick with one guy. Stop playing random dudes ahead of first-round picks. It's almost like, it's almost like these quarterbacks don't, have and won't have success if you don't cater the offensive scheme to the talents and the skills that these guys have at their disposal. How does Mac Jones, I know college is at the NFL, how does Mac Jones go from an absolute monster at Alabama in the toughest conference in all of college football, and he goes to the Patriots, I know the weapons maybe aren't quite as good, but he just becomes abysmal. In the NFL. Zach Wilson of top five pick cannot execute an offensive scheme on the New York Jets consistently. And they're like, well, you know who can Tim Boyle. Tim Boyle. It's a new thing. 
I don't know what's going on in the NFL. I don't know why these coaches continue to do it. And honestly, why people continue to let them get away with it. You can't just draft a first-round quarterback, a first-round pick, and then not give him full confidence to go out and execute an offense and also cater the offensive scheme to the talent and skills that this guy has in particular. Zach Wilson can throw the run a little bit. Mac Jones can't. Will Levis has a huge arm. Jimmy G doesn't. Like, the Raiders traded for Jimmy G and then just don't start him. The Titans draft a quarterback, but then they still start Ryan Tannehill, who's been nothing but just mid for them. And then they start losing with a mid-ass quarterback. And they're like, oh, yeah, we'll do a Will Levis now. Oh, that's going to that. You know what? Now Will Levis is going to come in just right off the bat and just start balling out. Like, no, it's not how it works. You got to give guys a larger sample size than like three weeks, five weeks. Even Zach Wilson. Oh, my gosh. Like. He wasn't great his first year. That's fine. But the Jets weren't good. And then they get Aaron Rodgers. Oh, boy. Aaron Rodgers. Here we go to the Jets. Everyone's ready for Aaron Rodgers. Zach Wilson's not getting any first-team reps. Rodgers gets hurt. And then Zach Wilson steps in and isn't great. And they're like, dude, he's a bum. We want Tim Boyle. Tim Boyle. Oh, my God. Why would you do that to Zach Wilson? It's not his fault. He has some bad decision-making, no question. Mac Jones, bad decision-making, no question. But, dude, come on. Give these guys a chance, uh, just a little bit of a chance. Oh, Mac Jones and the Patriots offense sucks. Well, you know, it's probably all Mac Jones's fault and not the fact that the Patriots offensive line is the worst it's been in the last 25 years. Their new offensive coordinator, Bill O'Brien, literally got let go from Alabama, a college program last year, and the Patriots have no receivers, nobody good to catch the football, except for like maybe Hunter Henry, kind of. But yeah, you know what? It's Mac Jones's fault. So we're going to put in Bailey Zappy. What? What? Couple teams did it, and now coaches are just getting away with it. Steelers, uh, Mike Tomlin comes out, was like, because Pickett's hurt, is like, oh, uh, Mitch Trubisky started last week, didn't look great. So now uh, Mason Rudolph is gonna is going to start on Sunday. Oh, that's the answer. Okay. Oh, so Mason Rudolph is going to come in and he's going to perform better than Mitch Trubisky. Like, what do these coaches think is going to happen when they're just flip-flopping quarterbacks every other week? First of all, a quarterback who knows he's on a short-ass leash is not going to play well. He knows the team has no confidence in him. He knows the coaching staff could care less if he has success or not because they're just going to cycle in a new guy. And then when he is cycled in with somebody else, it's not like that quarterback coming in to replace him is any better. Tim Boyle's not better than Zach Wilson. Mason Rudolph's not better than Mitchell Trubisky. Nick Mullins is not better than Josh Dobbs. Aiden O'Connell is not better than Jimmy Garoppolo. 
Bailey Zappi is not better than Mac Jones. They're all terrible. None of them is going to come in and just, oh, now we go. Here it is. These coaches, they can't just keep getting away with this. Uh, we're going to start this guy this week. Yeah, you know, I don't know. We're probably going to, you know, run a, a collective group of quarterbacks, give a couple guys different looks. Or we're going to draft a guy high up and then just not have any faith in him. Have zero confidence in him. We're not going to tailor the offensive scheme to the skills that these guys have. And we're just going to keep riding with who we got. And then when they don't do well, we're just going to bring in a backup because that's going to fix our problems. Like change the scheme. Get the ball out quicker for Zach Wilson if the offensive line is so bad. For Will Levis, open up the field. Blow over the top of the defense because when he does do that, oh my God, he's a monster. For Mac Jones, it's throw the ball over the middle of the field quicker. Get the ball out. Their offensive line's not good. For Jimmy G, it's checkdowns. It's screens. It's easy throws. It's game management. Let these guys manage games a little bit. Hand the ball off. Run the ball. The Steelers draft Najee Harris. They got running backs. They do whatever. And they don't really run the ball that well. And then their quarterbacks suck. What? Dude, it's not these. It's not the quarterbacks. It's the coaching. It's the offensive playmaking, uh, play, play calling. It's, it's all of it. The coaching is terrible. The play calling is terrible. The offensive schemes are terrible. The sequencing is terrible. The game management is terrible. A lot of these teams with these quarterbacks, they're just cycling in and out, have bad defenses, which doesn't allow for offensive success. And these quarterbacks, whether they want to admit it or not, or whether they will ever admit it or not, they know in the back of their head, these coaches, these offensive coordinators have no faith and will just cycle me out if I don't have any success. And that thought in the back of their heads is never, ever, ever, ever going to lead to sustained success ever, ever, ever. I'm not saying you just have open-ended blind confidence in these quarterbacks. You know what? We'll let Mac Jones play for four years at a low level, and then we'll do something about it. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is do everything you possibly can to try to lead these guys to some sustained success. And if you try a bunch of different things, a bunch of different schemes, a bunch of different play callers, all kinds of different stuff, and it still doesn't work out, then the common denominator is bad quarterback play, then you can replace those guys. But these guys just cycling in quarterbacks and just rotating them in, you're not going to do anything. You're not. You're just not. You're not the 49ers. You're not Kyle Shanahan. You can't have three quarterbacks play in one season and have success every single time a new quarterback comes in. Because Kyle Shanahan is a masterclass. And oh, by the way, with all his quarterbacks, no disrespect to Jimmy G or Trey Lance. A lot of those mid-tier quarterbacks, no disrespect. It's no disrespect to Jimmy G, Trey Lance, or Brock Purdy. Because they're all pretty solid. But a lot of those mid-tier quarterbacks that are just getting replaced on a weekly basis by backups and then cycled back in and then back up and then cycled in. They'd all do pretty well if they had McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk, Kyle Juszczyk, like, and then the play calling and the offensive schemes is excellent. It's not a coincidence that the 49ers do really well with almost anybody at quarterback. That's why the 49ers offense is good when they were able to cycle in new QBs just from injuries. But these other coaches were like, oh, the 49ers did it? Yeah, we got to... Uh, we got to replace Mitch Trubisky with Mason Rudolph. That's the answer. We got to put Tim Boyle in there. Give him a look over our first round pick, Zach Wilson. Nope. Ryan Tannehill's been in the league for eight years. He's got to get the nod over Will Levis. Like, dude, 
Oh my God. Do something different. It's not the quarterback's fault the entire time. It's just not. Not to mention all these teams and all these quarterbacks and all these offensive units that are horrible with these quarterbacks that just keep getting subbed in and out. Their offensive lines are all terrible. Zach Wilson's on his ass every play. Every play. Every play is on his ass. Every play is on his ass. Mac Jones has no time to throw the football. And his offensive coordinator, Bill O'Brien, got fired from a college program last year. And the Raiders had like a little bit of struggles. The Raiders were like not kind of great with Jimmy G and Josh McDaniels, who is a class A loser. And they're like, oh, Jimmy G, the guy who was in the NFC championship as recently as two years ago. Yeah, he's not good. And you know who will be better is Aiden O'Connell. I'm sorry, what? What are you talking about? And then the Vikings, like, struggle, don't play well. You know, you lose Kirk, that sucks. They got Josh Dobbs in there, kind of plays well. Guys are rallying around him. Then he faces, like, one second of adversity or, like, one like one game of lack of production. And the Vikings are like, yep, Nick Mullins time. Oh, and then you guys lost. Shocker. So it's not the quarterback's fault. It's a team sport and it's a team game. We cannot let these NFL coaches continue to just sub in and out mediocre-ass quarterbacks, making it seem like that's the reason why these teams aren't playing well. It's not Jimmy Garoppolo's fault that the, the Raiders were terrible. It was Josh McDaniels, and everybody knows it, with eyes and a brain. It's not the Jets, or it's... Uh, it's not Zach Wilson's fault that the Jets aren't a good team. Their offensive line's horrible, and their play calling is really bad with a really bad coach in Nathaniel Hackett calling plays. It's not Mitch Trubisky's fault that the Steelers didn't win. So subbing in Mason Rudolph or subbing in backup quarterbacks, it's like it's almost like the definition of insanity with these coaches. Doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Putting in basically the same quarterback, whether it's your starter or your backup, and expecting things to change. It's not going to do anything. For the Patriots to literally bench Mac Wilson, in the, or sorry, uh, Mac Jones, like the Patriots in the middle of a game, we're like, okay, we've seen enough of Mac Jones. Now Bailey Zappi's going to come in for half a quarter, and now we're going to score points. Like, what is that? What is that? These coaches, man, it's so brutal. I feel I just feel for these these quarterbacks because they're just not getting enough looks. The offensive, you know, scheme is not getting tailored to the skills that these guys have at their disposal. Yeah, it's just it's brutal. Anyways, uh, that'll do it guys. Episode 77. Hopefully you guys enjoyed the, we know ball podcast, uh, NBA and NFL. That's about it for now. Right. Little college hoops, little, uh, full season and NHL, but nothing crazy, nothing out of the ordinary and the college football playoffs still a couple weeks away. So in the meantime, we just got pretty much NFL, a little bit of NBA and, uh, yeah, that's it. So hopefully you guys enjoyed episode 77. Be sure to check me out on Twitter at Ryan knows ball at we know ball sports on instagram and tiktok 
check out our YouTube channel. We know ball, we know ball sports. One of those two, if you're listening on Apple podcasts, or Spotify, greatly appreciate it. Check us out on YouTube. We got clips. We got all kinds of stuff there on social media. Got my tweets. We got sports gambling stuff, all kinds of stuff going on. And uh, yeah, that's it. That's all we got. Hopefully you guys enjoyed episode 77. We'll catch you guys next time. Peace.